All right, welcome back in. It's the Pine Room here on the Watchdog. As we uh, trek on here towards Halloween, it's uh, getting close now, just a couple weeks away. So we're pretty excited. And we got the lady who's going to talk some Halloween stuff with us right now. Miss Brenda from Horrifying History Podcast joins us here once again on the Pine Room on the Watchdog. Brenda, you're a world traveler. I was following you on social media as you went all over the world, it seemed like, which was pretty awesome. Uh, Before we get into the spooky stories about vampires and such as we lead up to Halloween. Tell us a little bit about your trip and welcome back to the show. Joel? Well, let me let me see if she's with us. It should be on the line. Okay. Uh, That's all right. We'll bear we'll wait. We'll wait here for a second. She might have stepped away for a second, oh, but no. Nope. There she is. Oh, there she is. <laughs> welcome back to the show, Brenda. Hi. Hi uh, Brenda. So- we planned our trip in COVID, and um, basically when you're planning it, you kind of don't even necessarily think it's going to happen. You right. know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And then all of a sudden, I end up in one of the hottest places I've ever been in my entire life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but honestly, it was so worth it. And I learned a lot of things on the way. Like, for example, did you guys know that basically Egypt runs off of bribery? Ooh, I really didn't. I mean, I heard some things like that but no not not to that extent well what i didn't know is 300 people a day are allowed into the grand pyramid and that helps if you slip them a little extra extra okay so i that's why there's some pictures that you guys may have seen i'm in a long dress (laughs) covered with sweat because i climbed into the grand pyramid and went to the main burial chamber you guys can understand i'm also claustrophobic and that's that chamber where we are getting to like the path in is basically at a 45 degree angle straight up and the size of it is about two and a half feet by three feet oh my goodness that, that would bother me and i'm not even claustrophobic oh, oh my goodness but gracious my question to you guys would you still do it absolutely i think i would i think i'd have to i mean if i could fit in there i would yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a little tall but i'd yeah no I'd, I'd i'd definitely give it a try i think it would be something that would be um, you just, it's an experience you could never uh, duplicate. And that's what I actually was saying to the husband because he was behind me and he's kind of like tapping me. Are you okay? And I'm like, do you remember I'm claustrophobic? And he's like, uh oh. And <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not going to let a little claustrophobic feelings. Well, I'm being very nice right. when I'm saying that. It was right. a whole lot because my first thought going in the first 15 minutes climbing straight up, I'm like, there's like probably like a billion pounds of rock over my head right now. That didn't settle really well. Second thought was, oh, all this money. Mummy dust really is stale and hot. My next thought was, if one person slips and falls, we're all dead. Unless I'm the person on the top, then the rest are toast, and that's fine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, that's incredible stuff. Oh, so tell me a little bit about where you, where you started out quickly like on your trip, like where you guys went first and then where you finished up. Well, we flew into Venice. And we spent a couple days in Venice. Then we got on a cruise ship and we hit a couple, well, those three or four different uh, Greek islands like Mykonos and stuff like that. Brenda learned that I can never move to Greece because she's allergic to dust. (laughs) And it's Volcanic Island, in case you don't know, which, and and they're very windy. So, uh, yeah, so I needed some allergy medication. Then we went over to um, one place, uh, Heraklion Inn in Turkey, which Mm -hmm. is probably one of the
of the amazing um, archaeological digs you ever see in your life. It's amazing. Then we went to two places in um, Croatia. We went to Split and Dubrovnik, oh, yeah. um, which was an adventure in itself. I still actually have a problem with my rotator cuff because of Dubrovnik, but that's a whole other story. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> then we went on to Athens, spent three days in Athens, and then we flew to Cairo, where... Once again, Brenda broke a law by accident. It seems to happen occasionally. And, well, let's just say bribery got her out of that one, too. Ooh, so. good. All right. Yay, that sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. It had to be a great trip. And then we came back, and my girlfriend said, oh, you know that wine tour, the, you know, the touring the wineries that I was supposed to book, like, last, you know, like, next summer? <laughs> yeah, I accidentally booked it for next weekend. So that's oh. where I had to go the weekend after. And let's just say I'm not touching wine for a very long time. <laughs> I'm yeah. right there with you, Brenda. I'm right there with you. You're probably ready to uh, just stay home for a little bit, at least for the rest and of the Halloween exactly. season. My girlfriend, she was upstairs in this B&B, and she's like, do you have body lotion? I'm like, yeah, back at my house. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, welcome back. And uh, I'm glad you had a wonderful trip. Sounds just super cool. The pictures were fantastic. If people want to check them out, they can uh, find you on uh, Horrifying Hist 1 on X or Twitter and uh, Horrifying underscore History on Instagram. Uh, fascinating stuff. All right. So how excited are you? Your level right now of excitement as, uh, as we approach Halloween. Where, where, where are you right now? You know, I'd have to say I'm at a healthy seven and a half. Okay. And the reason is, is because I already pre-planned my stuff, you know, my outfits. Because think about it. Halloween is probably like the best holiday of the year for one main reason. You can dress however you want and not get arrested. (laughs) Good point. Right? Yeah. And then there's candy. Come on. It's like the best holiday. Best holiday. Good job. You said that this is your favorite holiday. I totally agree with you. I've been on this train for a little while now, and uh, there's there's no, no downfall to it. Nothing. I honestly think that it should be longer. Like, you know, they have a Christmas season. We need yes. to have a spooky season, like, from September 1st to, like, October 31st. I, I think we should start some sort of petition here. Yes. Um, but it's also podcast-wise, it's our busiest time of year, and I love it because we get to collaborate with so many different shows and people like you guys. And, and it brings in such a, 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 I guess it's just a wonderful holiday season for all. Yeah, so uh, talking about your podcast now, I see um, you released a couple already this week, which is uh, pretty fascinating. You want to highlight on those just really quickly so people can check them out? Oh, my. Well, we're doing a lot of collaborations this year because I have a hard time saying no. <laughs> and um, we um, we actually did a couple little ones, little little um, collaborations for some other shows this week, so check them out. It's more of a feed drop than anything. Okay. Um, I think you're going to really enjoy them. But starting next week on Monday, we're doing some great collaborations with some really good shows. Um, for example, one's coming out with Greyhorn Podcast, who is a pagan-based podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and they're into pagan history and that sort of thing. Also, with our parent Normal World website, who is um, a worldwide website, and basically what they do is they're documenting all these haunted sites and all the stories behind them, and it's worldwide. It's fantastic. Wow. So, so what we decided to do? Why don't we just tell some spooky stories about where we live? And I love that the fact that one of us are Canadian, the other one is living by the state's border, and the other one actually there's one in the states, and then there's one over in Europe, in wow. Holland. So it's going to be a big mix of stories. Um, the next one we're doing is coming out the next day. It's with another show called Creepy Confidential, and I love them because they're like a lot like me. Um, we have the same spooky mindset, and we're doing Corpse Brides. Okay. So 
And we're telling some really interesting stories about some corpse brides that we found out. And did you guys know that, you know, the actual movie of, of Tim Burton's Corpse Bride actually was um, based on an old Jewish fable? Oh, no, I did not know that. Yeah, well, you get to find out next week. Oh, good. And then starting on that weekend, we're doing with the network, I'm part of, a, we're doing five days of spooky. So every single day, all the way from Saturday to the end of the month, you get new spooky tales with a new uh, topic. For example, some of them are going to be about ghost stories. Some of them are going to be about cryptids. Some of them are about the legends behind Halloween. So it's going to be a lot of fun. That sounds super cool. Again, we're talking with Brenda from Horrifying History here on The Watchdog. Um, all right, so let's let's talk a little bit about these uh, these vampires that you mentioned to me uh, last week. Uh, vampire lore. I know people are pretty familiar with vampire, obviously with some of the new age type stuff, the movies and the shows and things like that. People became fascinated in in vampires, but you can kind of tell us a little bit about how a lot of this originated and uh, kind of some of the historical legends of vampires. Well, the thing is, I guess the question should be. Can we? Oh, so man. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna put that there for a moment, and I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Where do you think vampire legends started? Ooh, I'm gonna say there were. I, let, I'm just gonna make this up. There were some kind of pagan tribe that they drank <laughs> the blood of you know village people, and they would ravage the countryside and uh, drink blood of strangers i don't know that's pretty good job yeah. I, I would say um so i that could definitely be uh one of the, one of those tribes definitely over there in celtic society or something but uh i would say my first in- introduction to vampires was i always learned about uh vlad the imperler or vlad dracula so i don't know if he was the originator but i know he definitely plays a role at some point well you're not wrong and here's the thing. Everything you guys are saying is correct because there's almost as many different descriptions of vampires as there are legends of them. The thing is, people think that what was produced in today's movies is the legend, and it's not. But what most of these actually have in common in current times, not in previous times, is that vampires drink human blood by draining a victim using their sharp fangs, which may kill the victim or could turn them. And as we all know, people can't get enough of these guys in movies and shows and books. But the thing is, experts agree there are clear foundations for the vampire myth in the ancient world, but they actually can't say or prove where it actually first arose. So let's go back to the paranormal world and look what the paranormal world claims. They say that that vampires were actually born out of sorcery in ancient Egypt, or they come from a demon that was summoned into our world from another. So that is just what the paranormal and the lore says. But if there is no firm established characteristics for these creatures, um, because if you look at different cultures, they're all different. So give you some examples here. Some vampires are said to transform into a batter wolf, which you guys likely heard, but in a lot of other legends, they can't. Some are said that they can't cast a reflection, while other stories say they can. But what experts all agree on is writers have taken liberties on the folklore to make the creatures what they wanted them to, to fit their own stories. But if you actually go through a lot of the tales, there is things that are similar. For example, the blood thing is one thing that is consistent, as well as the vampire is somehow undead and revived, even though in lore, that's not necessarily true. So 
creatures with vampire characteristics have been documented as far back as ancient Greece. Now, I wanted to try this when I was in Greece. I just kind of was too hot and tired and sweaty to do it. (laughs) But uh, there are myths that a vampire there is an undead creature, and it becomes more and more powerful the longer it's allowed to feed. So this belief was widely spread throughout Greece, and it was specifically in the rural regions up to the mid-20th century, which is not that long ago. Many of these locations today still believe in them, so it's thought perhaps the lore of the vampire came to Greece from its neighboring Slavic countries, where the vampire legends were considered common in their folklore. Now, even though Greek vampires and Slavic vampires share similarities, there is actually massive differences. For example, a Greek vampire does not actually drink blood. It eats the flesh and livers of its victims, kind of like a modern-day zombie. Now, I'm just going to confuse things even up for you guys a little bit more. The Slavic word for vampire is said to be the root for many of the terms used for vampire-like figures throughout Eastern Europe and the Balkans. So the actual word itself means werewolf, and it evolved to represent vampires in Slavic countries. So are you guys confused yet? Uh, this is fascinating. Yeah, I'm not confused. Maybe a little, but uh, just fascinating stuff as we uh, talk with Brenda from Horrifying History here on The Watchdog. Please continue. <laughs> well, I'm going to make it worse for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the way to turn to a vampire is also not consistent. But today it is believed in current times to be the most common ways to be bitten by a vampire, right? That's what we read in books right. and see in movies right? But let's go back to ancient Greece, where they think some of these things started. There were tons of ways that you could turn into a vampire. So most often, if you were excommunicated from church due to sacrilegious behaviors, well, you'd be a vampire. Those who were buried on unconsecrated ground was believed also to turn. Now, this caused a massive problem in World War II. Why do you think? Well, (laughs) I'm I'm assuming a lot of people were buried on unconsecrated grounds. (laughs) You are correct. So Greece actually suffered themselves a widespread famine, and about 300,000 people passed away from this. So due to this alone, the cemeteries quickly ran out of room, and many were forced to bury their loved ones in mass graves not located on consecrated ground. So this caused a huge amount of distress throughout Greece because a lot of them feared that their relatives or loved ones are now going to turn into a vampire. So they decided to counteract this, and there has been evidence actually in the recent years that they're finding this through archaeological digs. Many people started to behead their loved ones before they buried them to stop any sort of transformation. But that wasn't the only way you could turn if you were in Greece. In some regions, it was believed if you ate meat from a sheep that was wounded by a wolf or a werewolf, you'd be turned into a vampire. So it seems like no matter what you do, you're going to turn into a vampire. Just putting it out there. Oh my goodness. (laughs) That's incredibly complex. Now, now, it doesn't really matter how the, the turning actually happened because they were just very fearful of vampires in totality in Greece. These guys were thought to bring great destruction and bring in disease epidemics. So vampires were thought to roam around villages and they would knock on doors, calling out names of the people inside, asking them to come outside. If no one answered the knock, the vampire would move on. But if you did, the vampire would cause you to die in the next couple days, and then you'd become a vampire. So that's why in some Greek villages today, residents of homes will not actually answer the door on the first knocking sound. And I wanted to try it out, but the husband was like, you know, that's really not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that might get you into trouble. (laughs) Yeah, you know, those whole breaking the law things. (laughs) Yeah, darn. Oh, wow. This is fantastic stuff. Now, some of the most interesting folklore concerning vampires comes from the Jewish faith. 
And as I mentioned before, same thing with corpse brides. Now, why did I say that? According to Jewish law, drinking blood's forbidden. Right. But even so, their vampire lore dates back over a thousand years, and it actually resurfaced during the Nazi era. So a lot of this known lore is actually um, targeted towards a female vampire. So in these tales, some suggest that Adam's first wife, Lilith, was a vampire. So in their tales, many of the accounts that are out there say that they are beautiful, bloodthirsty demons who prefer to eat babies and children. They were created at sunset before the first Sabbath, before creation occurred. So because of this, they can actually change form. They need blood to survive. And if they are injured or seen by somebody, this creature can't survive unless they eat bread and salt from the person who was injured or the person who saw her. I don't know how you get that, but either way. It is believed that these creatures were actually created as a test against humanity, but to kill them was a challenge in early mythology. Do you guys have any ideas about how you kill a vampire? Well, I was going to ask you. You always hear about garlic and silver and sunlight and uh, steak in the heart. Yeah, steak in the heart. What? Uh, what? What's true and what isn't? <laughs> well, there's a lot of different options. Depends on who you talk to and what culture you're talking to. So going back to the Greeks, it was very much a challenge. If you were buried, you must stuff the person's mouth with soil. Now, the other options were decapitation or burning, but in later mythology, vampires could be killed in the same way as other vampires, silver bullets, wooden stakes, holy water, and weapons blessed by the church. So I'm guessing if you get a baseball bat blessed by the church, I'm guessing you can use it. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah. But... If you look at folklore in other areas, some of the most common causes for vampirism is not what you guys are expecting at all. Now, some of them are practicing magic, suffering an unnatural or untimely death, suicide, excommunication, as we mentioned, not following proper burial rituals, an animal jumping over your dead body, a bird flying over your corpse or an empty grave, or if you were born with a call, teeth, or tail. It gets worse. If you guys were actually conceived on a certain day, if you talk to yourself, if you get sick, or if you're born on Christmas Day, you could turn into a vampire. But in other legends, there are people who actually are a living vampire. These guys have two souls, which allow them to leave their living body and turn into a vampire and do vampiric activity while they're sleeping. So in other words, you're never safe. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. I wonder who could keep track of all that stuff. Hey, I was going to say, I talk to myself a lot, so there's a good chance I'm, I'm one. Job, you're definitely you're a done. vampire. <laughs> you're done. Hey, Brenda, do you have uh, – th- that's, that's really intriguing, all the lore. Do you have, um, do you have any favorite uh, vampire movies that, that you watch? Uh, you know, I have some there, – there's obviously the newer ones um, – are, are much different than the older ones, but are there any ones that intrigue you and you really like and you watch, make sure you watch them every year? Well, who doesn't love Lost Boys? No, I, so that, that, was, that was one of my f- two that are love. my favorite. But another one that I love to hate, but I also love it, to love it, is John Carpenter's Vampires. Oh, yeah. okay. And the reason is, there's a scene where all these head vampires, they kind of like lift themselves magically, kind of float out of the dirt of the grave that they're sleeping in a random field, and all the dirt comes out. And they look like they, you know, they were buried underground for quite a while. Fat, or just flip to the next scene, they're now perfect with their hair all perfect and their little vampy makeup <laughs> looking good. And I'm like, did you go through a vampire car wash? Because I don't get it. 
<laughs> but the scene itself and, and the story behind it, I actually read the book behind it. The book is much better. But the, va- the Vampires movie itself is worth a watch because there's some little campy spots. And, you know, it has a Baldwin brother in it. So you kind of got to give it a chance. How about Fright Night? You ever watch that one? Um, I watched the original, and I watched the newer one, and I kind of like both. I, I, I cheer for the vampire a little bit because, uh, <laughs> like I, okay, I, honestly, I cheer for the bad guys in most horror movies because I feel they're a little misunderstood. <laughs> and honestly, us humans do some really stupid stuff, and maybe, you know, offing on one or two might help the population. But the point of it is... Yes. <laughs> I love horror movies. I absolutely do. And I, I don't really get scared with them, but I love seeing the behind of it, the lore or the story they're telling behind it. And a lot of times it's not just about a vampire. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Yeah. I, I like there's a show uh, that came out recently. It's, I think it I think it wrapped up. The Strain. Matt and I, Matt yeah, and I yeah. we've watched that. Um, I think. Oh, the Strain. I, yeah. One of my favorite. It, it kind of fit, fittered off there at the end, but. I, I love when a vampire is not portrayed like the beautiful Edward Cullen, uh, <laughs> yeah. like that type of vampire. I like it when they're kind of gross and uh, they got like weird... Uh, Grotesque. Yeah, huh? yeah. I, I really enjoy I, that. Well, as, as, as I'm just envisioning myself as a vampire, would I just like, hmm, you're hot, you're hot, and you're hot. <laughs> so you're going to be part with me for the next, you know, two, three hundred years. I would want to side with somebody who's not annoying personally um, you know has has some good like vampire characteristics that you know that we can get along for a while because if i'm your master you know we you got to go and get on that whole you know do everything i say train but get along for the next i don't know a couple hundred years <laughs> absolutely all right brenda we're going to take a quick break and uh bring you back here after the break and talk a little bit more about vampires some of this stuff uh some of the panics they created and then a little bit of uh, New England talk about the vampires as well. So thank you uh, for being with us, and uh, we're going to take a quick break here on The Watchdog, and we'll be right back with Brenda from Horrifying History. All right, welcome back in. It's the Pine Room here on The Watchdog. Matt, Jubb, and Coach here with you. Jarrett had to go to... A big meeting for the Blazing Paddles Pickleball Classic today. So if you haven't signed up for your teams, get on that right now. Sunday looks like it's going to be a good day. So check it out at the Pine Room Studios. You can find out all the details on that. Uh, we continue on here with Brenda of the Horrifying History Podcast, proud member of the Darkcast Network. Uh, Brenda, uh, you, you mentioned some things about vampires. You you gave us an incredible rundown of, of vampire uh, lore in, in the various parts of the world. Um, now you're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the causes, that the, the panics and uh, so forth that vampires have caused throughout history, which I find incredibly fascinating. So thanks for continuing on here with us on The Watchdog. Oh, no problem. But before we start talking about how the myth kind of started in the sense that, and the panics that started, um, we should go over about another consistency. It's that vampires don't die from disease or the normal ways that a human dies, correct? Right. Now, they're they're said to have um, normal or faster than normal healing capabilities, have superhuman strength, but there's differences in how you kill them, which is very important for later. So just to review. The most popular ways, decapitation, and stuffing the head, um, the head's mouth with garlic. You can use a blessed bullet, you can use a stake through the chest, not necessarily the heart, and you can force the creature into direct sunlight. Now, it's also said you can use fire. So what if you can't kill this thing? 
Well, Laura says you can actually repel it, but it's not consistent. <laughs> Some say they can enter a home if invited, while others speak to, about distracting a vampire. Now, I don't know if you guys heard of this one before, but basically it said if you scatter seeds or grain, they'll be compelled to count it, which will allow your escape. <laughs> I have. I don't know where I've heard that before. I've now, seen that before. Now, that fascinates me. So, uh, and I maybe I just put two and two together here. You said count it. Count it. So, like, so, so it reminds me of the count floor. from Sesame Street. Because that's why he was a vampire. He counted. That's why. Interesting. Ah, that's where you got it. I, I, yeah, I never really realized that. <laughs> Amazing. Continue, please. So, so uh, the thing is, there has been research that can kind of give us an idea where these myths did start. Folklore about walking corpses and drinking blood of the living started to spread like wildfire when the plague started to um, go throughout um, medieval Europe and during big times of disease. That is why experts believe that it said that vampires first preyed on their families. Because, let's be honest, when you're going and living a house with people and you have plague, chances are pretty good they're going to get it themselves, correct? Right. Now, research also shows from the 20th and 21st centuries that characteristics associated with vampirism is traced back to certain diseases like tuberculosis. Now, tuberculosis is nasty. Um, It'll cause a patient to waste away, which in a lot of these vampire victims, they've wasted away. Now, as we mentioned, a great example of this is New England. It happened about 200 years after the Salem Witch Trials, and during the 19th century, the spread of tuberculosis was extremely common. And in that area, it literally claimed the lives of families in entire towns and villages. So have you guys know anything about tuberculosis? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit. I know that when back in the day when you got it, you, that was it. You were pretty much finished. Chris? finish is a good way to describe it. So those afflicted, so think about the, the, the stories and the legends about vampire victims and vampires here. Those affected lose weight, they cough up blood, their skin turns ashen, and they slowly die like somebody's stealing the life from them. Now, people started to believe that those who were dying from tuberculosis, which they called consumption, were actually rising from the dead and preying on their living family members. Now, imagine this for a moment. You're a married guy, you have six 20, however many kids. But then, because uh, back then that's what happened. Uh, let's be honest. So yeah. let's imagine you just lose your wife, one kid, two kids, three kids. You're losing your entire family. Now, I'm just going to put it out there. Wouldn't that make you start to become a little desperate? I'd say so. Uh, yes. And that's where they think a lot of this panic started from. So to prevent this from happening, or people uh, from these vampires preying on their living family members, people started to dig up the dead and did various rituals, which included burning the dead's, uh, dead person's internal organs. So I'm going to tell you about one of the famous examples that occurred. And it had to do with the Brown family from New England, and it happened in March of 1892. So the locals dug up the corpses of Mary Brown and her daughters, 20-year-old Mary um, and 19-year-old Mercy Lena. All the three women became sick, they wasted away, and then they passed away. So the doctors believed they died from tuberculosis. They told everybody they died from tuberculosis, but the locals thought different. So the one person that was important here who believed it was Mary's husband, George. So after his wife and his daughters died, his son Edwin fell ill. So now he's desperate. So he gave the townsfolk permission to dig up the bodies of his wife and his daughters. When they were dug up, the crowd saw that the bodies of Mary and Mary Olive had decomposed, but Mercy, on the other hand, she looked too good in their eyes. They thought that her nails and her hair grew, therefore Mercy must be a vampire. 
But the village doctor, he, he actually had something to say here. He tried to tell the group that it was the cold weather that they were experiencing that preserved Mercy's body after she passed. And her hair and nails, they didn't just grow when she died. They looked that way due to her body dehydrated. So therefore, it looked like that her nails and hair grew. But do you think that logic actually worked? <laughs> say likely not. <laughs> right. No, it didn't. So the crowd then removed Mercy's heart and burnt it. They fed the ashes to Edwin to stop this theoretical vampire attack, and it did nothing, and he died a couple months later. Oh, all for naught. All for naught. But then one of the earliest cases that happened in New England that has a name attached to it is a lady named Rachel Harris. So Rachel was the first wife of Captain Isaac Burton, who died from tuberculosis in 1790 in the town of Manchester. Now, those who knew her saw that she was healthy and she was beautiful, but very quickly after she got married, her health started to decline, and she passed away a year later from consumption. Now, the following year, Isaac got married again to Rachel's stepsister, Holla, making it a little more Mm. confusing. But soon after Isaac and Holla got married, Holla also fell ill. So when she started exhibiting the same symptoms that Rachel had, everybody in the family, all the friends, started to think that Rachel must be causing this. So they were persuaded by those who lived around them, that the family, that Rachel must be a vampire. And if they just go and dig her up, take her organs, burn it in a charcoal fire, an elixir could be made to save Hala. So what do you guys think they did here? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sure whatever it was, it was extreme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, they dug up Rachel. Now, you've got to envision this. Rachel was buried about three years at this point. So they dug up Rachel. They desecrated her corpse by removing what was left of her lungs, liver, and heart. They brought them to a local blacksmith's forge, and there was about 500 people there watching this as they burnt these and used the remains to create an elixir for Hala. So as you guys can imagine, the elixir didn't work, and Hala died a short time afterwards. But... Did the townsfolk actually recognize the error of their ways? <laughs> Probably not, as they continue on <laughs> no. with the same thing over and over. Because the re- they said the reason it didn't work, because Rachel wasn't actually a vampire. She must have been a witch. Oh, oh right, wow. right, right. <laughs> yeah, none of this helped stop the disease being spread. Now, <laughs> now, in a very similar story, there was one that took place in Cumberland, in Rhode Island in 1796. So a girl named Abigail Staples became sick. Now, her death was caused by tuberculosis, but that's not what everybody else thought. Because shortly after her death, her sister, Lavina Chase, also came down with consumption. Now, the thing is, Lavina helped take care of her sister. So considering that tuberculosis is spread by droplet, by cough and this and that, that's how she caught it. But that's not what people thought. Because as she started to waste away, Lavina would tell her husband, Stephen, about her fever dreams. And in these dreams, she felt smothered by a shadowy figure. She would wake up in a start and then yell the name Abigail before she'd fall back to sleep. So when this would happen, Stephen would just reassure his wife, oh, it's just a dream, honey, but he didn't think so. So where did he go? He went to his father-in-law, went to her, her father, Stephen Staples. So both these guys decided to talk about it, and they said, no, it's not a disease that is killing Lavina. It's a vampire that must be responsible, and it's got to be Abigail, of course. So not knowing that it's a symptom of tuberculosis that makes a person feel that they have a heavy chest and feel like they're being smothered, these two came up with a very unique plan for history. So they decided they had to dig up Abigail and probably destroy her body in attempts to cure Lavina. But they didn't just go dig her up. 
They went actually to petition the town council of Cumberland with a request to disinter Abigail with the promise of when they're done desecrating the body, they would just reinter her body in a respectful manner. Now, the council thought this was a bunch of crap. They thought it was a... But they thought it was actually a good idea because this should calm everybody in the community down. So then they issued the following order, and I'm going to quote. At a town council held in Cumberland in the county of Providence, being specifically called and held on the 8th of February, 1796. Mr. Stephen Staples of Cumberland appeared before this council and prayed he might have liberty granted unto him to dig up the body of his daughter, Abigail Staples, late a Cumberland, single woman deceased, in order to try an experimental on Lavina Chase, wife of Stephen Chase, which said Lavina was the sister to said Abigail deceased. When duly considered, it was voted and resolved that said Stephen Staples has the liberty to dig up the body of said Abigail, deceased, and after trying this experiment, as foresaid, that he bury the body of said Abigail in a decent manner. So what do you guys think happened next? Yeah. <laughs> no idea. I, I No idea. <laughs> That's so complex. It's amazing. I can't believe they put that out there. That's amazing. On paper, yes. on record. You know, we think it's a bad idea, but go ahead and dig her up. <laughs> We're fine with it. Just clean up your mess afterwards. Right, put her back. But here's the thing. We actually don't know what happened for sure because there's no official records of what occurred, (laughs) for good reason, I'm thinking. (laughs) But there is a lot of local legend. According to local legend, when Abigail's coffin was opened, her widowed husband ran away from the graveyard in complete panic. Now, he never spoke about what he witnessed, but from that point forward, it was said he was a changed man. Now, people said that it was due to he saw her vampire form, but I'm thinking it more than likely had to do to the fact that he saw the decomposing corpse of the woman he loved in a casket. Right, but no, it had to be the vampire. So what actually happened to Lavina? Nobody really knows, but we do know they did rebury Abigail in the Rhode Island Historical Cemetery, Cumberland Number 17, in the family plot, but her sister isn't there. And there's no records that tell us where Lavina actually was laid to rest because she had to die sometime. Right. Oh, my. Now, there's another disease that people thought caused vampirism. When you look back in history, and experts are, are pretty sure that this helped some of the panics, and that is actually rabies. So do you guys know anything about rabies? Oh, a little bit. Yeah. I know you get afraid of water. I don't want to see a raccoon in the daytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, on my trip, when we were getting ready to go, I actually was watching a CSI episode of this guy. He was using rabies and injecting victims into oh, rabies. To kill I remember them. that, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, i got to get some rabies shots because rabies is actually common in, in Africa where we were going. And my husband was saying to me, what's the chance of rabies? The thing is, rabies without treatment is deadly. Right. It's transmitted by the bite of an infected person or animal. And basically, if you have no treatment, which basically is the rabies vaccine itself, and even if you get it, if it's too long, you're going to die. It can take up to three months to move around your body, find a, uh, a nerve branch, and just dig right in, and then you're done. Oof. Now, the experts have been able to track vampire epidemics at the same time, same locations as rabies epidemics, because there's commonalities between these type of epidemics. Now, think about it. Vampires are often depicted as male, and rabies affects men seven times more than women. Huh, I didn't know Indi- that. Individuals with rabies become very aggressive and either attempt to bite or bite other people. And Laura tells us when a vampire bites you, you can turn into one, which is how rabies is spread. 
Rabies cause people to be adverse to very strong or surprising stimuli, which is things like strong smells like garlic, a bright light, mirrors, uh, things along that, which, again, if you look into the lore, it, it's in vampire lore. Now, one of the ways that rabies used to be tested for was to have a person look in the mirror, and if they could stand the sight of their own image, they didn't have rabies. <laughs> So this aligns with all the ideology behind vampires and mirrors, them being repelled by garlic, them not being able to happen or handle light. Make sense? <laughs> totally. Yes, it <laughs> These does. people were spot on back in these days, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's actually more links between rabies and vampirism. So those who have rabies actually have a very difficult time sleeping and are prone to walk at night. They also become very sexually aroused because the virus actually affects the limbic system, which controls your emotions and behavior. Now, this also aligns with vampires being shown as sexual beings who roam during night. Mm. They are also shown turning into animals. So animals with rabies often act the same as a human with rabies. So it isn't a really big leap here to say that if a person saw an animal who acted the same as a person who was also suffering from rabies, they would think that person transformed. Correct? Makes a lot of sense to me. Who would have known vampire lore could make sense? (laughs) Right. Now, the biggest thing about rabies is when somebody dies from this, this, their blood actually remains liquid because of the virus for some time. As the tissue breaks down, the body then swells and gases are produced, which will force the blood out of the mouth. Because of vampire concerns, historically, bodies were dug up to check to see if they weren't a vampire. So seeing this oozing blood would make a person believe Mm. that the deceased is a vampire. Yes. Make sense? Yes. But then there's also something I mentioned before. It's how a body normally decomposes. So when a person dies, gums start to recede and cuticles start to pull back as the body dehydrates. That is where they think the lore of growing fangs, wow. growing fingernails, and growing hair comes from, or their growing hair comes from. Uh. But this has also started another thing that people do when it came to historically the vampires. They would bury people face down. Do you want to know why? Please. Or do you have guesses? I don't know. Uh, Joe, do you have a guess? Um, I no, I have no idea. Coach, any no guesses? Idea. I don't really have no, a guess. Oh, it was dirt. Uh, no, Face down. Dirt in, the, dirt in her throat. I don't know. I don't know, Brenna. Tell us. Well, they're saying if a vampire was buried upside down, it would prevent them from digging out of the grave because oh. they would just <laughs> dig down. Okay. Oh. <laughs> right. Pull a little switcheroo on them, man. Apparently, vampires didn't have sense of direction. Ah, yes. <laughs> now, you've got to remember, you guys, this all happened before technology was invented that actually could go and tell that for sure a person was dead, like a stethoscope. So it's thought by experts that a lot of these notions came out of people who were, who were accidentally buried alive right. and then people trying to crawl themselves out of their fresh graves. So I have a question for you. With all this information I blasted to you guys over the last hour, do you think people believe in vampires today that they're really a creature of night that can come after you? I would say a limited few, yeah. Yeah, I'd say not as much as like it would probably be as prevalent then. But yeah, I'd say people. I'd say there's some people that believe that. Yeah, I would agree. You agree? Yeah. Well, you are right. Now, this is funny because uh, my husband was in the Canadian military and he deployed to Africa. And he deployed to Africa in this time, um, which I used to joke, you know, there's so many things out there that can kill you, you know, lions, car bombs. Right. Now I got to worry about vampires, vampires. because the, in 20 or 2017, the United Nations pulled their staff out of southern Africa because a vampire scare tri- triggered mob violence and killed five people. So the belief in witchcraft is very widespread in Africa, and the vampire rumors started in the region in about 2002. 
So the U.N. Department on Safety and Security made a, a statement, a public statement, and they said these districts have severely been affected by the ongoing stories of blood sucking and the possible existence of vampires. So then they produced a report that said at least five people were killed by lynch mobs who said that these people they killed were vampires. So they decided to pull their people out for their own safety. But then there's a little place called Serbia. And in Serbia, people are still living in terror that one of their most feared vampires has awoken. So it's a village called Zorazi, and people believe that a guy named Sava Savanovic is lurking in their forested mountains and hunting all of them. Have you heard about this? No, I, I have heard of, of Sava Savanovic, but uh, no, I don't know much about him. Well, they believe, these guys believe that he's on the move now due to the, he used to live in this kind of a mill, and it collapsed in the last couple of years. So now he doesn't have a home. So now he's going to oh, go, no. he's, he's, he's starting to stalk the village. So all the villagers have taken their traditional precautions, like having holy crosses and religious icons on their bodies and around their homes. They rub their hands with garlic. I have no idea what, what that would do other than dry out your hands a bit and make you smell weird. But they also started carrying wooden stakes with them. So a local member of government has been quoted in part by saying, people are very worried. Everyone knows the legend of this vampire and has thought that he's now homeless and looking for somewhere else and possibly other victims. We're all very frightened. I understand that people who live elsewhere in Serbia are laughing at our fears, but here most people have no doubt that vampires exist. So their legend is that Savanovic is going to kill and drink the blood of the locals. And he did this where all the people who came to his water mill when they ground their grain. So now that the vampire's on the loose, all these local tour groups have been trying to go and take people into the mill to see the vampire. But they limited the tourism on this. The same politician says we welcome tourists, but only in the day. No one has ever overnighted there. We're too scared to repair it, not to disturb Santa Savanovic. Oh, my goodness. So the thing is, we're okay for now. For now, because documented reports of vampire activity are still continuing in this region, and they still live in daily fear. But we're good now, because it is said that vampires are most active between Christmas and the Feast of Ascension, which is June 7th. So we got a couple months of lead time here. Ooh, they leave us alone during Halloween. <laughs> exactly. You'd think they'd be more active. But if you guys have ever watched Vampire or Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yes. have you seen it? Yep. Yes. You know what she says about Halloween, correct? Refresh us. <laughs> <laughs> that is the day off for monsters. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yes. I, have, I have heard of that quote before, yes. Right. Absolutely. That's where all the normal bad humans go out and play. Yes. <laughs> I never thought so we'd be talking about homeless vampires. <laughs> I think that's just absolutely fascinating. <laughs> and it's the funny thing is, is when you dwell into um, the actual lore, it makes a lot of sense on, sure. firstly, why there was panics, but secondly, more importantly, how the lore came about. Yeah. It was the lack of understanding of disease and, you know, burying right. people alive all the time. That's a problem. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention to you. Do, you. do you figure that most of these, or probably a lot of the stories that you explore, not just vampires, but always comes back to uh, just uh, misinformation from people or lack of information? So, and if you look historically at a lot of different legends, um, that is where a lot of things originated, too, right? right. Uh, but in the same thing, it's very interesting is when you dwell into this. I was actually talking about this to my family doctor recently, because <laughs> he, he and he was, he was like, are you serious? Wait a minute. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it yeah. makes a lot of sense. Totally. And you've got to understand, these diseases came in. People didn't know where they came from. They didn't know anything about, had, didn't have a medical base that we have now. Sure. They couldn't even tell for sure if you're alive or dead. When you die, 
right? So that's why there was a lot of burying alive. Well, if you're buried alive, you're going to try to crawl out. And, well, now you're a vampire coming out of your grave. If you have these diseases, that's making you waste away. Well, that makes sense that they would say you're a victim. And if you had rabies with a lot of these symptoms, it, it, it aligns 100% with the lore. Incredible. Yeah, it's like you look at a lot of these and, and like you were talking about, well, the the rabies, the blood coming from the mouth after death, then the, then the cuticles and the gums receding. Yeah. It's like one step after the other. You're like, well, no, that's just science. But uh, I mean, obviously, back in the day, people aren't going to have access to that information. And then, yeah. but, but what also I think is funny is that Back uh, when you said, um, well, she wasn't, she, they ruled out that she was a vampire, and then everybody would be like, all right, well, she's not a vampire. And then somebody says, well, uh, she has to be a witch. She's a witch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I but think why that's would fascinating. That's a logical explanation, right? Why yes. would we look for that? And you've got to remember, back then, lore was their truth. Yes. They didn't have the other information, so it would make sense for them to jump from one supernatural creature to another. And back then, as we know, when it comes to witches, a lot of women were targeted. Yes. So it, it makes sense for them to jump from one to another because the victim itself, herself was a female. Yep, absolutely. And you've had, uh, I've listened to a few of your things on, on the witches, uh, the Paisley witches and some of the other things that you talked about. So yeah, that, that stuff, uh, yeah, kind of goes along with this, definitely. Mm-hmm. And well, the Paisley witches, that was a whole new thing because right. back then there was no punishment if you were rich right. and you made false accusations. Yeah, you oh, could do whatever you wanted, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we haven't changed much in that regard, have we, sadly? No. no. <laughs> well, so tell us here, before uh, we get ready to hit the top of the hour here, just tell us a little bit about what you got in store. Obviously, you mentioned uh, the things that people can find, uh, some of the collaborations you have coming up uh, on the Darkcast Network. And uh, tell us, though, a little bit about you personally. Like, what are you going to uh, – what, what, what's your – how do you celebrate the uh, the fun times of Halloween um, other than going to parties and stuff? Um, I don't think I'm going to do any partying for any time soon. <laughs> yeah, you probably wore uh, out. But <laughs> I don't want to see another glass of wine again right, for quite right. a while. But the point of it is I've already been told what I'm doing for Halloween. Our neighbors um, have already said, you're coming over. You're going to be here at 4. You're bringing your fire pit. We have Ooh. a propane fire pit. Yeah. They decorate their front. We just bring the candy. And he says, I'll bring wine. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> No oh. wine then, yeah. Well, that's good. You're probably a pretty popular lady to have around on Halloween. Yes. I, uh, yeah, I tend to be a little spooky. Finally, my darkness has a place. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's always got a place uh, with us here in our hearts. So, Brenda, uh, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and amazing insight and stories. And uh, we continue to urge everybody to check out your podcast and the various other podcasts on the wa- or on the almost said the Watchdog on the Darkcast Network. Uh, just wonderful stuff. So thanks again and uh, happy Halloween to you. And hopefully we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Well, happy Halloween and be sure you check your candy. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. Good point. Very important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me again. It's always fun to be with you guys. Thanks, All right. thanks, okay, Brenda. Brenda. Wonderful. All right. Uh, that's Brenda from Horrifying History. Uh, check her stuff out. Horrifying underscore history on Instagram and at Horrifying Hist, H-I-S-T-1, the number one, at Twitter or X. Uh, she also also has a site on uh, Patreon. You can join the Horrifying History fan club, which Joe and I might have to do at some point. So, uh, Joe, that was awesome. Yes, yes, so, really cool insightful. stuff. Yeah. It, it's really cool to see because we talk about a lot of different stuff on here, but it's really cool to see somebody that's so in tune. You can, you can with, tell how excited she is to talk about it, too, and how just everything about just the way she delivers it is just is 
wonderful. Yeah, woman. really good. So so educational, uh, but yet she still has the humor side of it and the fun part of it. And uh, uh, we really enjoy it. So thanks again to Brenda for joining us. We're going to take a quick break. Going to come back. Going to uh, hop into the time machine and then in the final segment of the show, we'll have a great. <laughs> 